Good morning, Watermark. My name is Adam Tarno. I'm excited to be with you guys today. It's going to be a fun, fun morning. One thing I'd love to uh, just celebrate with a little story to set up our time. Uh, this past December, my wife and I, we celebrated 15 years of marriage. Isn't that amazing? We have been, thank you, we've been married for 15 consecutive years, and I, I think that's a record. It may be a record somewhere, but... Uh, our anniversary always is a special time for a lot of reasons, but it is also the anniversary of how long I've been eating vegetables. <laughs> I had uh, a really bad relationship with vegetables before I got married. I don't know what kind of relationship you had with vegetables in your early uh, young years or your teen years, but mine, my relationship with vegetables was awful, and I blame my mother. And we've already had this conversation. I'm sure she's watching and we've reconciled and we're all good. So she's probably nodding her head right now. But I blame, uh, my mom was an amazing cook. She really was. But she made one dish that was called, uh, it makes me nervous even to say it, but this one dish, tuna noodle casserole. <laughs> Anybody like that? No, let me ask you another way. Anybody under 60 like that dish? <laughs> tuna noodle casserole was, uh, it was, it was the worst uh, I did not like it because there were, it was the tuna and the noodles and then the casserole piece, I guess, meant throw green peas in it because it was full of green peas. And I'd wake up some mornings before I go to school and I had this habit of always asking my mom, what are we having for dinner tonight? And the time when she would tell me we're having tuna noodle casserole, that was always the worst day of my life <laughs> until the next time we had tuna noodle casserole. And then that would be the worst. And so I just had this really bad relationship with vegetables. And I remember very specifically, you know, broccoli was just as bad as peas. I would put broccoli in my mouth and I would literally start to gag. I had no control over my body at that point when I would put broccoli in my mouth. And it was so dramatic because I'm just sitting there at the table, just dry heaving. And my mom is, is, you know, like, quit being so dramatic. And I'm like, I can't casually throw up, right? It's... <laughs> It's a dramatic thing when you throw up. And it was just, oh, I just had bad relationships. So I spent my whole life, I grew up basically eating carbohydrates, protein, fat, and applesauce. That was all I ate growing up. So my wife, when we were dating, she knew that I had these kind of bad eating habits and knew that I had a bad relationship with vegetables. And as we got closer to the wedding day, she didn't say she was going to change me. She just said she wanted to help me. And, and so I, I remember after we got married... This one meal in particular, I mean, it was early on, like we might have just gotten back from the honeymoon, second or third meal we had when we got back from the honeymoon. But I remember she said, I'm gonna start you with uh, roasted asparagus. And what I know now, I did not know then, that roasted asparagus, that's the marijuana of vegetables, okay? <laughs> that's the gateway drug that leads you to all kinds of other. I mean, nobody starts with cauliflower rice just right out of the gate. I mean, nobody starts there. You always start with something a little bit easier, and so you start with, with roasted asparagus. And so she made roasted asparagus and maybe chicken or something that night, and I remember sat down, and I put the roasted asparagus, ate the first piece, and I was expecting my body to start convulsing, and, and it, it surprised me. It tasted delicious. I was like, this is amazing. And she made a comment right there that completely changed my perspective on, on vegetables. She goes, see, plants don't taste bad, do they? And I don't know why, as silly as it sounds, I had never thought about vegetables as a plant. I had always thought about them as this evil thing to make me sick. I had never just thought, oh, they're just simple little plants. And so even right there at that meal when she said that, I was like, the chicken should be disgusting. I mean, that thing had blood in it and it was out there alive on some farm. It had kids and dreams and aspirations. <laughs> and then this farmer came and just, you know, cut its head off and the feathers were ripped out and then somebody butchered it up and then we cooked it and now it's here on my plate. Like that should be disgusting. 
The meat should be disgusting. Not the little plants. We'll just plant more. They're just plants. What are they going to do? And so it completely changed. Just that little change in perspective to go, these things aren't disgusting. They're just, they're just plants. It changed my relationship with vegetables. And so now for 15 years, I've been a vegetable eater. I love vegetables. I like just about all of them. And, uh, and I think I'm better for it. And so I, I, you know, I'm just amazed at what a little change in perspective can do in our life sometimes. And I've experienced a lot of these growing up, like I'm sure you have. I mean, also too, growing up, I didn't like running very much. And so then when I graduated from college and went to Atlanta, I was living in Atlanta and a friend of mine invited me to go on a run with some other friends. And it was like in this park and there was a river and these trails and these trees and it was beautiful. And I'm like, okay, this, this is fun. This is a fun form of exercise to be out here. And so that little change in perspective changed my relationship with running. I also didn't like reading growing up and then graduated from high school and somebody gave me a book and they said, hey, this movie's about to come out. You gotta read this book. And it was Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. Like the dinosaurs, they come back alive. There was DNA in this mosquito. And I'm like, that probably could really happen. And so I read that book <laughs> and I thought that book was amazing. I'm like, this is what books are like, I'm in, okay? Just change my perspective a little bit. And so it's happened with a lot of silly things, but it's also happened with a lot of serious things in my life too. When I went to college, I went to college with the view that Jesus was a good man. And he was a great teacher and that was it. And then I start to meet other friends. I said, no, 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 Adam, he's not just a good teacher. He's the savior of the world. He's God. And my perspective on Jesus started to change, which had a big impact in my life. And then as I start to follow Jesus, and then I'm sitting in a church service, much like you guys are on a Sunday morning, much like you guys are, and a preacher was talking about how God owns everything. Everything we see in the world is the Lord's and that he is the owner of all of it and we are the stewards of everything. And so I started to shift my perspective to go, okay, I'm not the owner of anything. I'm just a steward of everything. And that little subtle shift in perspective changed my relationship with money and possessions. If you've been around Watermark for a while, I've been around here for 17 years and I have consistently and faithfully heard Todd try to change our perspective and remind us of what is true out of God's word regarding who God is, that he is not some cosmic killjoy trying to rip you off, but he is up there as a loving heavenly father and he is trying to set you free. And all these little subtle perspective shifts can have a really big impact in our life. And so I start with all of that because this week and next week, we're gonna have a conversation about another area of our life where we all probably need a little bit of a perspective shift. And this is in the area of forgiveness, forgiving people who have hurt us. And the reason why I think these messages are gonna be so important is because here's what I know is probably true of every single person in here is that we've all been hurt by somebody. Every single one of us has been the victim of somebody else's decision. Somebody else made a decision to say something to us and that thing that they said has stayed with us and it hurt us. They have uh, done things to us. They have abused us. They have manipulated us. They've stolen from us. They have hurt us. They have done things. They've lied to us. They have broken trust. Every single one of us has an experience of being hurt by somebody in our life, but not every single one of us in here has forgiven. We have not released the person from the hurt that they have caused in our life. And so we are harboring this anger and this, bitter, this bitterness and this resentment towards these people. And we're just carrying it around. And the reason we're carrying it around is because we probably have the wrong perspective on what forgiveness is. Some of you that are carrying around this hurt may have the same perspective on forgiveness that I've had in my life, where I always viewed forgiveness as letting the wrong person go free that it was an unfair reward that I would give to somebody who hurt me. And so that may be the perspective you have. And that's why you're not going to let go of that hurt because you don't want to reward that person. 
They don't deserve it. And so we hold on to it and we harbor it. And what ends up happening is we become miserable. We find ourselves in a prison to this hurt. We're thinking about it all the time and we are withholding forgiveness. And by our withholding forgiveness, what's really happening is we're drinking poison and we're expecting them to die. It just doesn't work that way. And so what we're gonna do over the next two weeks is what we try to do every week when we come in here is we're gonna open up God's word and we're gonna let God's word do what God's word is so good at doing and that is changing our perspectives, opening our eyes to the reality of God and his kingdom and his way that he wants for his followers here on earth. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna be in it most of the time today. So if you've got your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna be in verses 21 through 35. Just to set up a little context to where we're going with all of this, Jesus will have just gotten done in Matthew chapter 18 talking about conflict, which is definitely related to forgiveness. And in Matthew chapter 18, he lays out this wonderful, simple, easy to follow plan on how to resolve conflict. That if somebody hurts you, you first go to that person individually. And if that doesn't work and you don't reconcile, you widen the circle a little bit and you maybe ask somebody else to come with you. And if that still doesn't help reconcile, then you keep widening the circle. And so he's, he's just gotten done teaching about how to resolve conflicts with those who have hurt you. And Peter and his disciples were listening to what he had to say. And they had a question. They clearly had been processing his teaching and were kind of just trying to figure out where are the boundaries on all of this? How long are we gonna have to implement this? And so what we're gonna see here in verses 21 through 35 is Peter's gonna come up to Jesus. He's gonna ask a question. Jesus is gonna give him an answer and then Jesus is gonna tell him a story. And that story is where we're gonna camp out most of the time today. So here we are in verse 21, chapter 18. Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some of your translations may say 70 times, seven times. And so I'm sure we're gonna unpack this a little bit more next week, but I'm sure Peter, when he came to Jesus, asked this question, probably deep down inside thought he was gonna impress Jesus by saying seven times. And Jesus was not impressed with his seven times. He said, no, 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 it's not seven times, it's 77 times or 70 times seven, which we'll unpack more next week. What Jesus is basically saying is it's infinity. It's just something that always happens. And so he asked this question, he gave him that answer and then he tells him a story. Verse 23 is where the story starts. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, I'm gonna just go ahead and go out on a limb here and say probably none of you are paid by your employer in bags of gold. And so when you read 10,000 bags of gold, you don't know, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? So let me contextualize this a little bit for you. One bag of gold was the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages. So 10,000 bags of gold is 200,000 years of wages. So if we just contextualize this and modernize it, let's just assume he's making $50,000 a year. That's $10 billion is what he owes. That number is so big that if you bring out your iPhone right now and you try to do the math, the zeros won't fit. Okay, you'll have to turn your phone sideways. Then the zeros will fit. (laughs) It's a crazy number. As part of this story, it's almost a made-up number. It's the biggest number you can imagine because he's trying to make this, this, uh, trying to illustrate here that this man owed a tremendous amount of money to this king. So verse 24, as he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him, 25. Since he was not able to pay, 
which is obvious because it's $10 billion, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. Now, we may be sitting there just going, whoa, 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 that sounds a little bit harsh, but back in the first century, there was no bankruptcy protection. This is what happened. If you couldn't pay back a debt, everything was sold. People and property was sold to try to pay back the debt. So Peter and the disciples would be nodding their heads going, yeah, that's what happens, especially if you owe 10,000 bags of gold, you're gonna have to pay for that. When the servant heard this in verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. And here's what he said. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Then verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now we'll pause here. This isn't necessarily the point of the parable. We'll get to the point here in a little bit. But I think it's worth a pause right here because we're gonna see one of the first perspective shifts that we need when it comes to forgiveness. What we need to understand here is that this is a wonderful definition of what forgiveness actually is. We have a great uh, a picture here of forgiveness. And the picture that we see here is that forgiveness is really an accounting term. There was a debt between the master and a debt between the king and the servant. That debt could not be repaid. And so what did the king decide to do? He decided to forgive the debt, to cancel the debt, and to basically tell that servant, you don't have to pay me back anymore, which is such a great illustration of what forgiveness actually is. And if you and I are gonna be forgiving people, we need to have the right definition of what forgiveness is. And so the first perspective shift that we need is this, is that we need to recognize that forgiveness is to release a debt owed to us. That's why, that's what it is. You may be asking like, why did the king do that? Why did he release the debt? And the, re the reason he released the debt is because he had pity on this man. That's why he canceled it. And why did he have pity on this man? Because he knew that this man could not pay the debt back. It was impossible to pay the debt back. So in some ways, the king was in a very difficult situation. He was the one that had a decision to make. Because this man had racked up enough debt that he couldn't pay it back. So now the king had a decision. If he can't pay it back, I got a couple options here. I can try to sell him and his family and all of his possessions and pay some of it back, but it's not gonna pay all of it back. And so he was making a decision on, am I gonna continue to carry around this invoice, carry around this bill that's saying that this guy owes me something? And every time I see him or every time I think about him, I'm gonna be reminded that there's this invoice that is outstanding and he did not pay it all. And that was the, the king was sitting there going, I can do that and continue to carry around this invoice or, or since he can't pay it back anyway, I'm just gonna release him. I'm gonna release him and just say, you don't even need to pay me back anymore. I'm just gonna cancel the debt because you know what? I just wanna move on. I don't even wanna think about it anymore. The fact of the matter is, it'll never be paid back anyway. So in some ways, what the king did is he made a very self-serving decision. He said, I don't wanna walk around with this IOU and this invoice any longer than I have to. He can't pay it back, that's reality. I'm gonna take pity on that situation. And I'm gonna release him of the debt owed. You may be sitting there just going, well, all right, Adam, I don't necessarily have a lot of situations where people owe me 10,000 bags of gold. I don't really see how this is kind of related to my circumstance. Let me show you. This is exactly the circumstance that you and I face every time somebody hurts us. Let me use a made-up illustration here of my wife and I. Let's just say that uh, this is my wife and I. We're doing well. Uh, we're pursuing oneness. We're not in conflict or anything. Everything's going well. And part of the reason everything is going well is because last night we had some ice cream. We had not just any ice cream, 
Last night, we had Bluebell's cookie two-step ice cream. Thank you very much. I don't even know why other ice creams exist, honestly. (laughs) Cookie two-step is out there. But anyway, let's say last night we had some ice cream. Everything's going great. And she put the ice cream away after we served it to one another. And she just said, hey, Adam, there's like one serving left of ice cream. And I'm going to give it to you. You can finish it off tomorrow. And I rise up and I call her blessed. And I say, thank you (laughs) for doing that. So now I come here this morning and let's say we're done and I drive home and I'm gonna eat some lunch and I'm gonna go, all right, I'm gonna finish off that ice cream that my wife promised me. And then I open up that freezer and I look and the ice cream is not there. And I look around and I go, who did this? (laughs) And my boys just point right to Jackie and they go, she did it. She ate all of it for breakfast. Things are not okay anymore, all right? This is, this is us, we're separated. <laughs> we're separated, there's a debt between us now. She told me she was going to do something and she didn't do it. Now my wife is smart and she recognizes that there's this debt between us and there's this gap between us and so she's gonna scramble a little bit. She's gonna try to bridge this gap and so she'll apologize to me and just say, I'm sorry, you know, I was just really hungry. I didn't wanna have cereal and so I just wanted to eat the ice cream or she'll promise to never, ever, ever do it again or she's gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna go buy some more ice cream. I'll buy a whole slew of ice cream and it's all yours. She's gonna do all of those things to try to bridge that gap but every single thing that she tries to do does not bridge the gap. The debt is still outstanding. And the reason the debt is still outstanding is because it really has nothing to do with ice cream. The reason the debt is still outstanding is because she broke her word. She, she broke trust. She promised that she was going to do something and then she didn't do it. And so I, like the king, I have a decision to make right now. I can sit there and go, well, that's fine. Like, I guess for the rest of our life, there's gonna be this debt there outstanding between us because she ate all of the ice cream and I know she can't pay it back. I know there's nothing she can do. She cannot apologize enough. She can't promise enough and she cannot buy enough ice cream to bridge that gap. And so because I wanna be reconciled with her and I'm gonna take pity on this situation, I will cancel the debt. And she can't pay me back anyway. And that's gonna clear the path towards reconciliation so that her and I can go back to experiencing the oneness that God intended for us. Again, you may be sitting there going, Adam, the hurt I carry in here has nothing to do with ice cream. And I get it. The hurt that we carry in here and the hurt that we carry around with us, the invoices that we're carrying around with us to do with something that's a lot more serious. It's things like the coworker or the business partner who looked you in the eyes and said, I'm gonna behave this way or this is what I'm gonna do in this specific transaction or Here's what I'm gonna say. And then right after that meeting, they turn around and they completely go the opposite direction of what they told you they were gonna do. And now that was to their financial benefit and and you're stuck with a damaged reputation. That's the hurt that we carry around is that violation of trust. The hurt that we carry around is our dad who didn't take his responsibility very serious, who didn't view it as a privilege to be a representative of a loving heavenly father in your life. And he completely abdicated all responsibility. And he left you, or he abused you, or he was present and he just let it be clear that he really didn't want to have a relationship with you and he missed all the milestones and he missed all the birthdays. That's the hurt that we carry around. Or the friendship that you had for decades. 
And over the last years, there's just been some fracture that is in there and you're not trusting one another and now you're hearing that rumors and things that are being said behind your back or they're manipulating you or they're using you and there's just this hurt and these hurtful things that have been said. That's the hurt that we're carrying around or the spouse One day, not too long ago, sat in a chapel, sat there with you, stood there with you with a pastor and all the friends and family were there and there was this grand ceremony and all these flowers and everybody was dressed up and you looked at each other and you were holding hands and you looked in each other's eyes and you made a vow to one another. And part of the vow that you made is you said, I'm never gonna abandon you, I'm never gonna leave you, I'm never gonna forsake you, I'm always gonna be faithful to you and then your spouse, years later, just betrayed you and completely went back on everything that they promised on that one Saturday afternoon. That's the hurt that we carry around. I think the reason we carry that around and the reason that that hurt gnaws at us so much and why it bothers us so much and why it imprisons us is because deep down inside, we know we're exactly like the king in this situation. Deep down inside, we know there's nothing anybody can do to pay us back. If your dad like suddenly walks back into your life and and tries to apologize or make a bunch of promises or bring out a checkbook to try to buy you things, that would be offensive. That's that's not gonna pay back for the years of abandonment or the years of abuse. That's offensive to think that they could do something to bridge that gap. We know there's nothing your dad can do to pay you back. The business partner or the coworker, they can say they're sorry till they're blue in the face. It doesn't pay back the hurt that was caused. There's nothing they can do to pay you back. The friend that has used you and manipulated you cannot pay you back. The spouse can't pay you back. So we know, we know we're sitting here. We recognize that there is a debt that is outstanding between us. And deep down we know there's nothing they can do. They can try to bridge that gap as many times ways as they want to. None of it works. So what Jesus is reminding us of here in this story is that what we need to understand is that if we're going to forgive that debt, it is understanding that it's just releasing them, canceling that debt that's outstanding. We're just saying there's nothing they can do to pay us back anyway. I don't want to carry this invoice around all the time. I want to move on. And so I'm basically just saying, you don't owe me. Now, you may be sitting there and just going, okay, Adam, so you're telling me I just got to release the debt, and so what, then is everything okay? Now we're just reconciled? No, absolutely not. You're not just reconciled because you forgave the debt. Those two are often very different. Forgiveness is often just the first step in the reconciliation process. It just clears the path to reconciliation, but it is not reconciliation. It doesn't mean that all is okay. Or you may be going, all right, well, if I just canceled that, does that mean that I'm condoning that behavior? I'm basically saying it's okay for dads to leave their families? No, that's not at all what you're saying. You're saying, I recognize that there was real damage that was caused there. There's real hurt. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying there's nothing you can do to pay me back anyway. And so rather than carry the invoice around, I'm canceling it. You don't owe me sit there and go, well, I'd ask forgiveness if they would just, uh, or I would grant forgiveness if they would just ask for it. Is that what I gotta do? Do I have to wait for them to ask for it? No. Forgiveness is not contingent upon a request. You can forgive. What's really interesting about that story, the servant, he didn't ask to be forgiven. He asked for more time. The king took pity 
He said, more time's not gonna help. And you're not even asking for this. But because I don't wanna carry this invoice around, I'm canceling it and moving on. So Adam, if I forgive, does that mean I just need to ignore the hurt that's there? I mean, the hurt is still there. Do I need to ignore it? No, you don't need to ignore it. That's part of the debt that's outstanding. You're just canceling it. You're just reminding yourself there's nothing they can do anyway. So the first perspective shift that we need if we're gonna let go of these debts in our life is we need to understand and recognize that forgiveness is just the release of a debt that's owed to us. So let's jump back into the story. You may think that after this guy was forgiven 10,000 bags of gold and he was forgiven billions of dollars that this would be a really good story and he's gonna go out and forgive everybody now and it's gonna be a great ending to this story and that's not at all the way this story goes. So let's jump back in, verse 28. So he was just forgiven 10,000 bags of gold and when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Let's just pause there. I mean, just that dichotomy set up of 10,000 bags of gold and 100 silver coins. You don't have to know much about math or know much about uh, commodities or what the value of precious metals to know. Those are very, very different. The 10,000 bags of gold, 200,000 years worth of wages. 100 silver coins, about three months. That's, that's what the difference probably was. So he was forgiven 200,000 years worth of wages and he went up and found somebody who owed him three months worth of wages and this is what he said. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. I mean, he's basically saying the exact same words that the servant just got done saying to the king. He's repeating back to him words that he would have just himself heard himself say in verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told the king everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is the point of the parable. So remember, Peter came up and said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Jesus basically said infinity. And now let me tell you a story as to why it's infinity. And the point of this parable that Jesus is reminding his disciples and reminding Peter is this, is that so Peter, forgiven people forgive people. That's the point. Because you've been forgiven much, so you will go out and you will forgive much. And so the second perspective shift that we need to have with forgiveness is this, is that we need to understand that forgiveness is just a response to God's mercy in our life. And this is so important. Make sure you hear this. This is so important because you still may be sitting here going, Adam, you don't understand what was done to me. You don't understand the hurt that was caused. I'm not just gonna make some decision and just release that debt. I don't know where I'm gonna find the motivation. I don't think I have the motivation in me. And I would say that, that makes perfect in total sense. The motivation to forgive does not come from you and your willpower. You will never find the willpower in your heart, just in and of yourself, you will never find the motivation to forgive somebody. The motivation to forgive does not come when you focus on the sin of the other person. The motivation to forgive comes when you focus on your sin, not the sin of somebody else. Jesus is saying, Peter, don't forget who you are really in that story. 
You're not the king. You're the servant who's been forgiven much. And he's reminding Peter of reality, and I wanna remind us of our reality. This is what's true of us. This is our relationship with God. Before we came to know Jesus, we were separated. We were over there. God was over here. There was a gap, and in that gap, there was a debt that was outstanding. And the reason that there was a debt outstanding was because of something that Scripture calls sin, our actions, our attitudes, and our thoughts that are contrary to God's best for our life. We have said things, thought things, done things that are contrary to God's best, And that is a debt that separates us from God. As Paul would say in Romans chapter six, the wages of sin are death. The wages of sin is death. And this debt is there and there's this this gap that is there. And we, just like in that fake little story, like Jackie trying to bridge the gap, we too try to do things to bridge the gap. And so we may pray to God and try to, try to bridge that gap or we may read God's word and read the Bible to try to bridge that gap or we may give some money away to try to bridge that gap or we may try to serve other people to try to bridge that gap. But everything we try to do to bridge that gap and to work our way into a relationship with God falls woefully short because what we did and the way we have offended God with our life There's no way that gap can be bridged with our own effort. And so we're stuck. The reality is we were stuck. But God loves us so much that he didn't wanna leave us stuck. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so Paul, back again to Romans 6, said that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so this debt that was there, God did something with it. He forgave it. Or he didn't just forgive it, he paid for it. He said, I'm gonna pay it back. And it's worth way more than $10 billion, the things that we've done. And God paid for it through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so now when we place our faith in Jesus, we get to walk across that bridge and now can be in a reconciled relationship with God, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. This is the gospel. This is the good news of what God has done to accomplish our salvation through Jesus. This is the motivation to forgive. And so what this means is that if we continue to stand over here in the shadow of our own hurt, thinking of the sin that somebody else did and what they did to us, if we stand in the shadow of our hurt, we're always gonna look at forgiveness as an unfair reward that we give to somebody. From that perspective, it's always gonna look unfair. But when we stand over here in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ, It doesn't look like an unfair reward. What forgiveness is, is you realize it's a gift that one undeserving sinner gives to another undeserving sinner. Because forgiven people forgive people. That's what they do. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a text message from a friend, a dear friend of mine I've been in a relationship with, known this guy for nine or so years. And he sent me a long text message and said, this is gonna be a long text message, but I'm gonna send you a lot of details because I want you to hold me accountable. He went on to tell me that he had recently, that week, been in a room with some other people that I know, and he had said some things about me behind my back. He had said some things about me behind my back that made him look good and made me look not so good. He said, I'm telling you all of this because I wanna meet up with you and I want to try to clean up the mess that I've created. And so I wanna know if you'll be willing to meet me. And I said, sure, and we set up a time to meet. And I'd like to tell you, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that after I got that text message, between the time I read it and the time that we met for lunch just the next day, I I wish I could tell you that I immediately remembered the cross of Jesus Christ in my life. 
I immediately went to Matthew chapter 18 and remembered that I've been forgiven much, but that is not where I went, where my heart went immediately after reading that text message. Where my heart went is where a lot of our hearts go, is I was hurt, I was frustrated. I wanted to say, how could you? I don't know if I'm gonna release you of this. I wanna see how you're gonna try to pay this back. I want you to suffer a little bit because you've made me suffer a little bit. I wanna get some revenge on this. And by the grace of God, as those thoughts were in there just real quick and they went out, as I started to focus, not on his sin, but on mine, I had to admit to myself, you know what? I've offended somebody in my life that is way more important than me. I've I've offended God. I've had a debt that was outstanding that was way worse than just saying something behind somebody's back. And I've been forgiven of that. So how could I not extend forgiveness to him. And then even if I drill down a little deeper, not only have I been forgiven more, I've done the exact same thing that this guy is confessing to me right now. To my great shame, I also have talked behind people's backs, made myself look better and made them not look so good. So we fast forward, we get to lunch and he explains everything that happened about he didn't have to, but he asked to be forgiven and I was able to offer forgiveness and our relationship was reconciled. But the motivation was not there when I was focused on his sin. The motivation only came when I took my eyes off of his sin and started to focus on my own. That's where the motivation came. Because forgiveness is just a response to God's mercy. That's all that it is. It's not the last verse. There's one more verse in this section that we need to cover. And this is the most difficult, honestly, I think, of all the verses in this section. So Peter asked the question, how many times should I forgive? Jesus gave the answer. He told a story to illustrate the point. And then he has one final comment for Peter and his disciples. And here's what he says in verse 35. So Jesus now, stepping outside of the parable, says this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your So if you're in here this morning and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, these words should mess with you a little bit. Because what Jesus is saying here is he is basically saying that not forgiving is evidence that you are not following Jesus. That's that's what he's saying here. Saying if you don't forgive, either this, this has happened to you and you have forgotten that this has happened to you and so you're being disobedient right now because you're focused more on the sin of the other person and not your own sin, and so you're not responding to God's mercy, so that may be what's going on here, but it's evidence that you're not following, or it's an indication that you think you know me, but you really don't. You think you have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't. In which case, the end of that parable should mess with you. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus, then the end of that parable, that's gonna be the end of my life, that I'm gonna face a judgment, and I'm gonna wish that I had placed my faith in Jesus Christ and had been forgiven of that debt. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiveness is just releasing the debt that is owed to you. Those are the perspective shifts that we need. And so to close all this up and kind of wrap it up, I just wanna share one final story with you guys of one of our own, a story of a friend of me and Jackie and probably a friend of a lot of you in this room too is a, sweet friend named Rachel Duncan, and Rachel was the victim of somebody else's decision a few years ago, and she had to walk through all the principles that we've been talking about today, and she had to look and 
work on a, an invoice that was outstanding, a debt that was outstanding between her and somebody else. And I think this story is really gonna encourage you. So watch this. My name is Rachel Duncan. I grew up in a home uh, that was centered on Christ. My parents taught all of us about Christ and His love for us. I was about seven when I came to know the Lord and my relationship with Christ uh, just really grew in college and uh, even more so when I got to Watermark. In 2013, I was by myself at home one night. It was a normal night, everything was fine, and then I heard a crash uh, through a window in my bedroom. A man was breaking into my home, and uh, he ended up sexually assaulting me. He took an experience that I had been waiting for for so long. Um, he took the joy and the pleasure out of that for me. He took any feelings of safety. He took the future that I had planned and just completely changed it. I thought, how could I ever forgive someone who did that, who took so much from me, who didn't even know me and chose to cause me this much pain and hurt? I really struggled with forgiveness. I knew because of the faith that I had in the Lord that that was something that He wanted me to do, that God wanted me to forgive Him, that it would be for my benefit could not have pictured that and at that point thought that was ridiculous, if I'm honest. I would say that it took me a little bit of time to process what had happened to me to start the healing and I started getting to a place where I said, okay, I'm gonna, I wanna forgive because I know that the Lord has forgiven me of so much more. And that's what I believed um, and I said those words, I forgive you, and it, it felt like a burden just lifted off my shoulders. It felt like freedom. In light of what Christ has done for me, I am not a fool for forgiving my perpetrator. It's amazing. Amazing story, yeah. Some of that story may be familiar to some of you that have been around Watermark for a while. We, we shared a portion of that last Easter. So we filmed that about a year ago with Rachel. And I remember I had an opportunity to be in studio when we were interviewing her. And when we asked her that question, what, what did he take from you? And she just rattled off that list of all the things that this man had taken from her. I remember when she went through that list, I just had this thought of like, she has done her homework. She has thought through this. She talked about this process that she engaged in to really think through and try to piece together what was it that this man had taken and she had her invoice. What we know about invoices is that they're line item, they're specific. And she had gone through and she had looked at that invoice and said, he took this, he took this, he took this, he took this. And she too went through that process of recognizing nobody can pay this back. He's not gonna pay this back. And then as she took the focus, not took it off of what he had done and put it on herself and thought about that, she realized that motivation to forgive was just gonna be a response to the mercy that had been shown 
in her own life, and it's an unbelievable story and such a testimony to the changing power of Jesus Christ in, in our lives. And I think in there, there's a challenge for all of us. And some of us in here this morning are walked in and we just have a lot of hurt. We know the name of the person who has hurt us or the persons who have hurt us. We know all that, but we can't do what our friend Rachel did. We don't know how to itemize out exactly what this person has taken. And if that's you, if you've walked in here and you know you've just got all this emotion and all this hurt, my challenge to you is to go through and begin that process that Rachel went through to itemize out and think about what did this person take from you. Get some friends around you. Come here on Monday night to Regen and, and engage in that process and get others to help you think through what it is that's been taken from you so that you can look at that invoice and go, okay, nobody can pay that back. I'm not saying what they did is okay. I'm not saying that we're okay. I'm not saying that, uh, that everything is all right and I don't hurt anymore. I'm just saying I recognize they can't pay this back and so I'm ripping it up. And others of us in here, we've been through that process and we know what's on that invoice. We know the debt that's outstanding, but yet we're holding on to it. We're holding on to it because we just hope there's going to be another way. Either you think you're still somehow punishing them by not forgiving them, or you're hoping that they're gonna figure out some way to bridge that gap, or there's gonna be some other way to pay it back. And I just wanna remind you that it's not going to happen. They can't pay you back. There's no other way. The best decision you can make for yourself is to rip that invoice up. Just go, Lord, I'm gonna forgive this person. I'm releasing them of what they owe me. We can cancel the debts that are outstanding against us because our debt that we had outstanding against God has been canceled through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so let me pray that we will be people who do that. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you came down here to die for us. And God, we thank you that you did not leave us in that stuck situation with that outstanding debt. That you, in your grace and in your mercy, you sent Jesus to die for us. And so now, Lord, now we can just respond to that mercy that's been there in our own life or that has been exhibited in our own life. We can just respond to that. And I pray that you will help us to do that. Lord, my friends that are in here that haven't gone through that process or started that process to identify what the hurt is, I pray that you will give them the courage and the insight and the wisdom and surround them with friends who will help them identify what is on that invoice and that they will find the courage to rip it up and just release that person for their good. Lord, those of us that we know what the invoice is, we know what the hurt is, we've done that work, we're just hoping there's another way, I pray that you'll motivate us to rip it up. And may we, Lord, be a forgiving people because we've been forgiven through Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.